you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're still going through the journey of the Hall of Fame of Faith. And uh, good to see some people back that haven't been here in a long time, have one sickness after another. Brother Scott, but thank the Lord you're back, amen, and thank the Lord for this good crowd. I was going to put the uh, Lord's Supper off because I thought nobody would be here, but you're here, so we're going to have it tonight, amen. And you say, well, I don't feel comfortable about having it. Here's the solution, don't take it. And, uh, you know, but I feel convicted we ought to have it. So we're going to have the Lord's Supper uh, every first Sunday, and we're, we bought these special kits. The bread's not as good, the juice is not as good, but the symbol's better, amen. And so you know it's symbolic when you taste it. But thank the Lord. Uh, let's don't be critical, Brother Wayne. Let's just be submissive. Amen. That's what I try to be. First, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, here's another hidden person in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Her name is Hannah. And uh, not many women are mentioned in this Bible, but we ought to thank God for the ladies of, of uh, faith. Because if there was no, this is going to be deep now. Y'all come all the way here to this. If there was no Hannah, there'd be no Samuel. Amen. Okay. It's going to get deeper, but I just want to give you that statement. Amen. And thank God for the Hannahs, the moms of faith. I'm reminded of a, a young enthused son said to his dad, I have a first, my first part as an actor in the school play. And I play the part of a man that's been married 25 years. And the father looked at him and said, well, that's good, son. Just keep right at it. One day you'll have a speaking part. Amen. You'll get that later. Amen. And so, some of you look like you need to smile and laugh, praise God. And some of you didn't even get it. So anyway, let's go to preaching. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, let's stand on the word of God. One verse, verse 32. Then we're going to go to 1 Samuel and read the whole book. No, not really, just the first chapter. It says, and what shall I say more? And I've got hung up on this verse, but I think the one mentions ought to have some, have some preaching too. For what shall I more say? For the time shall fail me to tell of Gideon. He was a good preacher because he ran out of time. And of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and here's our text tonight, or this morning and tonight, and Samuel, and of the prophets. And Samuel, and of the prophets. I'm going to preach a few minutes on Samuel, a channel of faith. A channel of faith. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the great attendance today. I'm, I'm really shocked, but thank God for people being back in town and being back with us. Thank you, dear God, for those that you've healed and touched, those that you've been uh, with and protected. Lord, I pray for all those that are watching by way of the internet. Uh, for my wife that's homesick, I pray that you'd bless her. Thank you, Lord, uh, for her always being by my side these 43 years of pastoring here, and God, I miss her. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd be with her and be with all the ones that's homesick, those that cannot be here, those that don't feel safe being here. I just pray, God, you just use the broadcast uh, to uh, touch their hearts right where they're at, right where they're living. And it's important that we have faith where we live, faith in the home. And God, we'll see that this morning through the precious mom that had faith for her son. I pray, dear God, that you'd help us all to live by faith, to pray by faith, and to raise our children by faith, and God, to do great things for your glory and your honor by faith. Lord, I preach by faith, and I yield to the Spirit of God. I pray that you'll anoint me in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 1 real quick, and uh, I won't keep you long. I try to cut the messages 15 minutes because of all the nursery being in here. And so um, 
I'm trying to be brief and to the point. And so this is going to be a two-part message this morning and tonight. Tonight I'll be preaching on the call of Samuel. That's really exciting. If you've ever uh, been in a message, I hope you'll be in this. By the way, last Wednesday night, if I had one message to preach, and it was my last message, that would be the message. I'm glad it's not the last message I ever preached, but I believe it's the bottom line of the Christian life. Be sure you listen to it. I'll continue that next Wednesday on you measure your life by how much God gets the glory. How much God gets the glory. That's the bottom line of everything. If God doesn't get the glory, why in the world are we here? And why should I preach? And uh, these blessed Sunday school teachers, they've, I think, taught 26 lessons. Uh, five months we've been without Sunday school. I miss it so much. I can't wait to get back. And uh, boy, they're doing a great job, though. So you ought to listen uh, at 9 and 9.30 every Sunday morning to the Sunday school lesson. And everybody knows the story of Samuel, and so I'll skip some of it, but I want to get to the part that's so important, is that Samuel was conceived in prayer. Samuel was conceived in prayer. I don't know if you realize this or not, but one of the greatest ministries you have is praying for your children, praying for your grandchildren, praying for those that you're entrusted with on the bus route in Sunday school classes. All the sphere of influence you have God help us not to under, er, underestimate the value and power of prayer. Say amen. The value and power of prayer. I know I wouldn't be here in the same church for 43 years or 42 and a half if somebody hadn't prayed for me every day. And I thank God for those that have prayed for me. Look at verse 5 of chapter 1. I'll skip the preliminary right there about um, the two wives that... Um, uh, this man had, which was a total mistake, Elkanah, uh, and one of them was Hannah, and one of them was Paneah, and Paneah had a bitter attitude, and Hannah had a humble attitude. But the Bible says in verse 5 there was a problem, uh, and it was really a potential. It says, but in Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb, and for her adversaries also provoked her sore, uh, and that was the other wife, which is never... Uh, God's will, for make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as she did so year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, praise God, she still worshiped the Lord and didn't get bitter. And so she, provo he, she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. There is such a burden you couldn't eat. That's when Baptists get real serious when they don't eat. Amen. And then said Elkanah, her husband to Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? And Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of my handmaid, and remember me and not forget my handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall be no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. He noticed that she was fervent in her prayer life. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said to her, 
how long will thou be drunken, but put away thy wine from thee? And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am not a woman of sorrowful spirit. And that's what drinking is, a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk wine, neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Thank God for any mama that knows how to pour out her soul before the Lord for her children. Count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belilah, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. And Elijah answered and said to her, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou mayest ask of him. And she said, Let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramoth. And Achana knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And uh, in verse 20 it says, Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son, called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked of the Lord. I want you to notice, first of all, that Samuel, the great prophet, the man that made the Hall of Fame of Faith, started and was conceived in prayer. A, a lady wanted to have this baby to give to God, and she did give him to God, and she came through. But I want you to notice, first of all, the setting of the prayer, the setting of the prayer. This was a time where there was idolatry to no end. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, turn with me there, please. Verse 3, then Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do, 7 3, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods of Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Ashtoreth was a god of sex, it was an immoral act that they would perform towards their God of Ashtoreth. And so it was a time of idolatry. She's praying. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. No matter how wicked it gets, and it is wicked today, I never thought America would come to where we're at today. I mean, it breaks my heart. I get depressed watching the news, don't you? And I see all the violence and, the, and these, these people that have businesses and it's burned to the ground in the name of protest. God, help us. There's another, there's another way to, to protest, and that's before God. Amen? What we need to do is fill the house of God, not fill the streets with violence. Amen? We need to fill the house of God with mothers that will pray for the next generation. By the way, I'm going to tell you something. The worst insult that could ever have towards a mama is some heathen getting out on the streets, burning somebody else's property, looting somebody else's property, and hurting and killing, no matter if they're in... What, what position they're at, folks, is a rebuke against the parents. We need some parents that'll have some guidelines. We need some parents that'll have some boundaries of love. But we need some parents that'll raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of God and keep them in the house of God and so they can re learn respect and, get this now, the fear of God. I want to tell you something, people ought to fear God. The only hope we have is a nation gets back to Fearing God. The truth is falling in the streets. There's violence on every hand. But I want to tell you something, folks. The answer is not in politicians. The answer is in our petition to God. We need to cry out to God for the next generation. Because if this generation is going to act like that, what do you think the next generation is going to be? Thank God for you young people being in church this morning. It's where you ought to be. 
And then I see it's a pl- it was a place of illumination, but not much. In First uh, Samuel chapter three, verse one, look at that real quick. I just want to set to the setting, to the culture, and and even the religious climate of this day. But a mother made a difference. A mother made a difference. Don't ever think that you uh, should apologize for being a stay-at-home mom. That's a high calling. And the Bible says in this, and the child Samuel ministered in the Lord before Eli, and the word of God was precious. If you go to the Hebrew on that, that means it was rare, rare. In those days, there was no open vision. You know why? Because there was so much sin, God was not speaking because he knew it wouldn't do any good because they weren't listening. I want to tell you something. There was a wicked day when sin dominates a people. They turn away from God, and they don't, have the, they don't have a desire to be in the house of God. They don't have a desire to read their Bible. And folks, it was a time of precious revelation. Rare did they hear from God because God had, uh, uh, had seen their hard, and ins- uh, their hard and callous hearts towards God. Don't ever get that way. And then... Here is the top of it all. She's praying at a time where there's indecencies. There's indecencies. But I want to tell you something. These indecencies were in the house of God. Folks, there's a lot of things going on today that are strange to me that they call worship. It's really strange how the world is dominating a lot of worship. That there's the world's music and the world's lifestyle and the world's dress style and all these things are going on in the house of God in the name of worship. And folks, I believe a lot of it's just man worship. I think it's entertainment. I think it is a pragmatism, which means build a crowd no matter what it takes. But I want to tell you something, friend. It shouldn't take the world, the flesh, or the devil. It ought to take the unction of God and a prophet or a man of God that'll preach the word of God, and that ought to be enough. Now, I believe in good music. Don't get me wrong, Brother Randy. I want to rebuild the orchestra. I want to rebuild the choir. But I want to say this, friend. The preaching of the Word of God is the most important part of any service. We need the Word of God. And we need somebody to preach the Word of God without apology but with compassion. Because compassion makes the difference. But the Word will change your life. There will be a holy respect for the Word of God. That's why we stand when we read the Word of God. That's why we listen when the Word of God's uh, uh, being preached. But I want you to look in 2 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll be there for a while with Hannah's second prayer, which is a tremendous prayer. And it outlines the whole book of 1 Samuel. But in verse 12, we see something happening that's unbelievable. Now, the sons of Eli were the sons of Belilah. Chapter 2, 1 Samuel, verse 12, and they knew not the Lord. All right, here's the pastor's kids the sons of the devil, Belilah. They're lost. They're lost PKs. You know, PKs are sometimes hard to deal with, but lost PKs are really hard to deal with. Say amen right there, MKs. I'm looking at some missionary kids. Folks, listen, we need the Lord. Amen. We need the Lord. No matter who, who we are and who our daddy is, we need the Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And the priest custom when the people was that, the any of the man offered sacrifice, the priest service came with the flesh of the seething, with the flesh hook of, the, of three-tenths in his hand, and he struck it into the pan and the kettle and the candor and pot. And Lord, just make a, I'm just going to make a long story short. They were robbing from God. They were stealing from God. They were taking too much out of the sacrifice pot. 
And folks, the Bible says in verse 17, wherefore the sin of the young men that were great before the Lord for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. It caused people not want to worship because of this family, Eli, Hopnine, uh, Phinehas, were wicked in the house of God. They were going through the motions in the name of God, but it was wicked, it was fleshly, it was selfish. Uh, in second, uh, First Samuel chapter two and, and verse 22, look at this. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto the Israel and how they laid with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now they're having an adulterous affair in the church. The sons of the priest. And folks, uh, these uh, women were called and dedicated like Jephthah's daughter was, uh, I believe, to, uh, to, to work for the rest of her life in the house of God, in the tabernacle of God. And uh, uh, Hopni and Phinehas were having sex with them. That's pathetic. That's wicked. It's still wicked to have uh, extramarital affairs, say amen, and, and be adulterous and commit fornication. It's still wicked. It's indecent. And so then look at 1 Samuel 2, 17. The Bible says, Therefore the sin of the young men were very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. It caused people not to want to worship. Don't be a stumbling block. Be a stepping stone when it comes to worship. Say amen. Your life should be a living advertisement that God makes a difference and that worship is, is real and that church is relevant. And church is not only relevant, but it's essential, say amen. Grieves my heart that the uh, church out in California has been fined $57,000 for singing. $57,000 by the county of Santa Clara. And folks, we need to pray for Jack Treburn and that flock. We need to pray for that church. And you ought to thank God you live in Georgia and not California. Say amen. amen. Don't get me started on that. I will get political on you. But I want to say this, friend. God help us. God help us to see that we're either a stepping stone or, 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 or a stumbling block. We need to live what we preach. We need to live what we teach. We need to live what we deek. We need to live what we profess. We need to be Christians. Say amen. And we need to be living right for God. And so there's the setting of the prayer. Then I see the specifics of the prayer. It was sincere. Oh, the, Eli, he didn't have much spiritual insight, but I'll tell you what, he had enough in, uh, because he even said she was drunk and she was so broken and so burdened that he thought she was bitter and drunk. <laughs> bitter and drunk. Oh, friend, listen, he had a bit of insight. He couldn't tell when somebody was praying in the Holy Ghost or praying uh, fervently or praying led by the Spirit of God. He thought she was drunk and accused of it, but the same thing happened in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1. At the day of Pentecost, they were so happy and so excited, they thought they were drunk in the middle of the day because they were happy. Folks, is your joy sometimes misconstrued as being maybe fanatical? I'd rather, praise God, be more enthusiastic for God that people might think it was a little weird and be so dead that they knew we wasn't weird. Amen, or we wasn't different. We ought to be excited about God. We ought to be thrilled about the things of God. We ought to get over being saved. And we ought to get over being sanctified, set apart for God's use. That's what Samuel's about to be. And he was, it all started in mother's prayer. It all started with a prayer. I see her posture. She was humble and broken, verse 11. And she vowed a vow. I see her petition. She said she wanted a man-child. 
She didn't say she just wanted a child. She said, I want a boy. That's why I prayed the first time we had a baby. I said, Lord, make it a boy. And it was. It was Jason. And uh, I saw a picture the other day when we were, he was eight months old. We were by the apartments over West Crawford Street, and he was eight months old in that little apartment. Sharon McClavin lived upstairs, and she got saved. Now she's in heaven. She used to sing a lot in our church. And folks, I want to tell you, it was a humble beginning, but God was in it because some people started praying. People started praying. So don't go by the outward crust. Don't go by the facade of the world. Don't go by the measurements of how big it is or how wonderful it is or how flamboyant it is. Go by God's standard. And God's standard is this. She was praying for God to send a man to this wicked country, this wicked society, and a prophet of God that would bring the word of God and straighten that mess out. Maybe we need to be concerned about God calling some more preachers more than we are called about called, uh, God calls politicians. Because I believe, folks, the, um, uh, the key for our nation is that God's people would humble themselves and come back to him. There's revival won't be found in the White House. It's going to be found in God's house. And so we see the posture. We see the petition, but we see the promise in verse 11. He, she said this. She said, uh, and I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. There shall no razor come upon his head. Now, folks, Samuel uh, was give, had a promise by his mama. She said, I want to dedicate him to serve the Lord, but then also I dedicate him to be like the Lord. And the Nazarene vow, I don't understand all that, but it was a, it was a sanctification where they didn't cut the hair and uh, they didn't eat certain things, didn't touch certain things. It was real strict, but they were sanctified. And I want to tell you something, friend. We ought to be sanctified. I want to tell you something. I'm not jealous of this world one bit. All you millionaires and all you superstar athletes, I don't envy you one bit who think you can change the world with your little platform. Who do you think you are? I want to tell you something, friend. I don't envy the world. I don't envy the whirlings. I, I thank God for the privilege of being his child and his representative, his preacher. I was thinking about this morning, I preached over 7,000 messages behind this pulpit in 43, 40, almost 43 years. And I still get nervous. And I still don't lose the thrill of it. I was studying all day yesterday, early this morning, and I said, man, I get to preach this morning. Sometimes I get tired, but I don't get tired. I get tired in the work, but not of the work. And I just thought, what a privilege it is to stand before some humble people and listen to the word of God and see lives change. It is a privilege to be here. Somebody say amen. If not, move to California. No, don't do that. Be nice now. Be nice, Wayne. Okay, right, listen. Thank God for this privilege. And then here's the success of the prayer found in verse 20. Wherefore, it came to pass when the time had come about the Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel. Folks, here's the success of it. God answered it. And God can answer it any way he wants to, by the way. He might have said no. And then we see the stewardship of the prayer. She kept her word. She kept her word. She prepared the child. Whether it was three years, four years, five years, uh, we don't know. But she weaned him, and then she left him at the house of God. That took a lot of faith. Because she probably knew that Eli wasn't the greatest priest in the world. Because he just, just accused her of being drunk 
when she's praying, Brother Randy, good night. But I want you to see this, and I want to dwell on this just for a few minutes. I want you to see the consecrate, not only uh, that he was conceived in prayer, but I want you to see the consecration to God. The word consecrate means don't, it's not the same word as concentrate. I have a hard time concentrating. You ever notice that? I mean, I cannot shake hands with five people and listen to others. Just can't do it. I have a one-track mind. Uh, it's, getting more, it's getting more one-track as I get older, I'll tell you that. Say amen right there, Brother Lamar. But anyway, Israel um, was not in good shape spiritually. And widespread idolatry, corruption in the priesthood, my goodness. Folks, when the church starts going corrupt, you're in trouble. And I believe to an extent it has because there's a lot of people not preaching the word. And there's a lot of people that's uh, having entertainment as the main issue in church when it ought to be the word of God, preached and taught. But I want you to see that she followed through with her, with her promise. Number one, I want you to see the cost of consecration. Consecration means dedication. It means total surrender. The, uh, the priest had a consecration vow where they put blood on their right thumb. They put blood on the right earlobe. They put blood on the right toe. And I preached it many times that your thoughts are not your own when you're, when you're a leader of God. Hey, your hands are not your own. Your will's not your own. Your travel's not your own. Your feet's not your own. Your big toe's not your own. And your big thumb's not your own. That represents willpower. And your hearing's not your own. Your mind's not your own. And I want to say this. Every Christian's called to be a priest, 1 Peter chapter 2. You're a priest. You're to intercede for others, and you cannot intercede for others. You cannot be what God wants you to be unless you're consecrated, totally on the altar, totally sanctified, totally surrendered to God. And everybody looks at us, oh, well, I won't go that far. Well, that's the Christian life, my goodness. It's lordship. I don't believe in lordship salvation, but I believe that he is Lord when he saves you, and I believe you ought to grow and you ought to yield and you ought to be filled with the Spirit of God. The normal Christian life is being filled with the Spirit of God. It's not just filling a pew. It's your life filled with his glory and filled with his, his motives and, and his power. And so the cost of consecration, mom gave her child to the Lord. You know that's got to be hard. Some of you... Uh, cry for a week when you send your kids off to college. Amen. We, used to take, we took our kids up to Crown College. Me and, me and mom cried all the way home. I said, what are we crying for? They're going to a good Christian college, surrendering their life to God, going to meet some good man. And, and, uh, and uh, Amy met Mark, and, and uh, Stephanie met Trent. And I thank God for them. No jokes, Ms. Mardella, uh, uh, about my son-in-law. Thank God. Thank God. Stephen preached the other night, awesome preaching in August. Jason is a tremendous sister pastor and teacher and preacher. Folks, thank God it pays to give your kids to God. It's a wonderful privilege to give them up for his glory, his honor. And if you don't and you give them to the world, you're going to reap shame and disgrace, heartache and regret. Go ahead and give them to the world. And the world will give them back to you damaged. You give them to God, and the Lord will give them back to you as a divine call of consecration, doing something for eternity and not for their little old selves. And we have a problem today when everybody thinks it's about them. And folks, I want to tell you something. There is a lot of injustice in this world. 
But I want to tell you something. It's not all about them. It should be about God. And folks, when God's in control and God's on the throne, you don't have to worry about injustice because he's the judge. And he, he, can, he can slip past all the facades and all the petitions and all the signs and all the vows. And he sees the heart and he's the only one that can change the heart. We better give our kids to God. One day they'll be on the streets burning somebody's house up. God forbid. Whew. Don't you know they're proud parents sitting at home watching them on TV? I'd rather watch my children preach and teach and love God and soul win, raise a family and treat their wives and treat their husbands as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Raise up godly grandchildren, do something for God, God's glory, work in the local church. What a blessing. And so the call is to consecration, but it's worth it. And then the confession is found in verse 26 and 27. She starts confessing, says, and he said, oh, my Lord, chapter one, as my soul liveth, my Lord, I am a woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. Mind, O Eli, about the prayer. And for this child I pray, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped, and she worshiped, and he worshiped the Lord there. Oh, folks, listen. The commitment and the child, three or four years old, just weaned. And folks, you've got to begin early to consecrate your children in prayer. And the compensation, chapter uh, 20 and 21 of the next chapter, and Eli blessed Elkanah and, Elkanah and his wife, and the Lord gave them seed of the woman for the loan, which he lent to the Lord, Samuel, and they went into their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters, and Samuel grew before the Lord. And Samuel grew before the Lord. And so I want to close this message, and I'll continue tonight. In, uh, and y'all better pray because that clock is not working back there. So y'all are in trouble. Amen. I'll take that off, but it don't mean a thing. But I want you to see this, and I want y'all to get enthusiastic about this. I want you to see Hannah's second prayer. I want to tell you what a real prayer life is. You keep praying whether God answers or not. But when he does... You give him the credit and the glory and the praise for it all. And you give back what God gives you. He gives you life, you ought to give your life to God. He gives you time, minute, which is money, you ought to give your money to God. He gives you talents, you ought to give your talents to God. I'd much rather have my children using their talents for God than some nightclub, some dive, some cesspool of sin. I'd much rather have my children uh, live modestly and serve God than just be some star athlete that puts, puts God out of the picture. I'm not saying all star athletes do. I believe all the University of Georgia are godly people. But anyway, um, I want you to know this, folks. We see a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of thanksgiving in chapter two. And I just want to show you the second prayer. Everybody emphasizes the first prayer where she got the boy. But I want to tell you something, this second prayer outlines the whole book. She begins to pray, and it's a prayer, number one, of jubilation. We ought to be happy. How many of you have ever had a prayer answered? Raise your hand. Or that ought to do you for a lifetime. One prayer answer. I tell you the greatest prayer that he ever answered, God, 
Be merciful to me, a sinner, and save my soul. Did he answer that prayer? He said, never get over it. So it's like a mule looking at a new gate. Some of you look, look like that guy in that uh, joke uh, looking for a speaking part and, and sad because you don't have it. But I want to tell you something, folks. We ought to be excited about God answering prayer. Look at verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my, thine enemy because I rejoice in thy salvation. First thing she starts out praying in her thanksgiving prayer is, I'm thankful I'm saved. I want to give you, I want to give you just something to remind you real quick. You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. Woo! I tell you what, you ought to be excited about that. You ought to be so excited about it, you share the gospel with people that are lost and dying and scared to death during this pandemic and tell them how to get saved. Have you handed out a track in the last six months? Have you witnessed in the last six months? Well, I've been afraid to get too close. Take a chance. Airmail it. Just throw the track at them like the pizza commercial. It might bounce off the windshield, but praise God, they might pick it up too, say amen. Make a phone call. Yesterday I was calling everybody I knew. That's about three people. And I uh, had a good, good conversation with folks I hadn't seen in six months. One I hadn't seen in a year. Well, we had a good conversation. But folks, you ought to be happy. And then number two, we see it's a prayer of exaltation. And it says, it says, my horn exalted in the Lord. My mouth enlarged over mine enemies. She's about to have five more kids, but that's not what she's talking about. She's talking about, hey, we live in a wicked, wicked society, and God just gave me a prophet. God just gave me the privilege of raising a Samuel. Say amen. Asked of God. That's what the word Samuel means. I would never call anybody uh, Sammy. No offense to anybody that's called Sam. I'd call him Samuel. Why? Because Samuel means asked of God. Asked of God. Folks, that's a great name. That God brought it about. So she's rejoicing and exalting the one that did it. And folks, if anything's good ever happened in your life, it's because of God. Y'all wave at me at 1230 so I know what time it is. No, no, no. We'll, we'll close in just a minute, okay? Thank you for being here. And then we see it's a prayer of examination. Look at verse 3. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogance come out of my mouth. For the Lord, a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. You know, he, she was living in a wicked, perverse, even in, in religion. And she sits there and says, hey, God, you know all about it. You know what that's saying? I fear God. I want to tell you what is a true sign of a godly mother. That she fears God. That she knows God intimately. And that she wants her children to know God and fear God. That's the solution to every sin problem you have is fearing God. Knowing that God knows. Knowing he's the judge. Knowing that in the darkness and wickedness of time when everybody else is acting like heathens, that you don't act like that. Because you're accountable to God and you have a severe fear of displeasing him. That's the definition of the fear of God. You fear displeasing God. 
Now, folks, I don't know about you, but if I could just raise kids that feared God, I think it'd be an ultimate life. That they, I don't have to follow them around. And when they grow up, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna show you what's in their heart. When they get out of their home, and when they graduate from high school, and when they get in those college dorms, and folks are getting sicker and sicker at, at Alabama and other colleges are partying all the time, and it's just almost shutting down a whole college. And I'm sure it's happening in Georgia too. In Georgia Tech, they ought to be smart enough not to do that, say amen. But I've been to a Georgia Tech football game, had to walk through fraternity row, and there's a bunch of drunks out in the, uh, out in the front yard partying it up. I mean, with kegs of whiskey and liquor. You ever been there? He said, well, you shouldn't have went there. I didn't stop. I went to the ball game. But I thought, that's our next doctors. That's our next engineers. God help us. So it's not just education. It's knowing God. That's wisdom. You need to have wisdom. You need to pray for your children to have wisdom. What is wisdom? Seeing God in everything. That's wisdom. Seeing the end of sin. That's wisdom. Read Proverbs chapter one through seven sometime. Wake up now. You'll see the end of those chapters shows you the end of sin. And I'm gonna tell you something. We ought to be wise enough. Hey, we ought to be wise enough to see the last chapter before the first chapter. You can enjoy the lights and the glamour of sin, but I'm gonna tell you something. Payday someday. I'm just saying, God knows. What a great prayer. Lord, I'm glad you know. And let's put it on a positive note. He knows that he, where you're at when you're hurting, when you're lonely. Some of y'all are so lonely during this pandemic. I mean, church really means a lot to you because you ain't got nobody at home. Somebody told me the other day, said, I kind of like this social distance. That's my personality. I thought, my, it's not mine. I'll tell you what, I, I think I'm going to be too affectionate after this pandemic. I'm going sh- to hug too much. I'm going to shake hands too much. We might start holy kissing around here. No, we're not, amen. We'll at least do some handshaking, say amen. It hurts me. I'm going to try this elbow bump. At least I can, you know, push you a little bit or something, amen. This is terrible. I hate this stuff, don't you? That's not my personality. Some of you say, well, that's pretty good. I just like to be a loner all my life, amen. Well, God bless you. Be lonely if you want to. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. You ought to adore God. That's the next point. It was a prayer of adoration. Look at verse three. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly that not arrogance come out of my mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. What a great message by brother Chris. Folks, she, she, she saw the Lord as the supreme God. Nobody like him. Nobody can measure up to him. Amen. Not just because she got a child because she knew God was the only hope for her nation, only hope for the priesthood, only hope for the prophethood. And God was raising one up named Samuel. Oh, I don't mean to take so much time on mama, but if there wasn't a good mama, there wouldn't have been a good Samuel. Hey, I want to tell you something. The person that rocks the cradle rocks the world. Amen. Thank God for you godly mothers trying your best to keep your kids close to God. You can't do it on your own. It takes God. It takes the church. It takes Sunday school. But look at chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, and I'll go close. And the bows of the mighty men are broken, and they, they that stumble are girded with strength. They that were full have hired themselves out for bread, 
And they and listen to this, and that were hunger cease, so the barren hath both seven, and she has many children, is wax feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive, he bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich, he bringeth low and lifteth up. What a song. What a poem. God conquered death, hell, and the world. He created the world. He sustains the world. And he crumbles the adversities, the adversaries. And folks, listen, there's great opportunity. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, but the Bible says there's an open door, but there's many adver adversaries. The devil, the world, the flesh. We live in a wicked day. And in knowledge, verse 3, Folks, he knew, he knew you in the womb, Psalms 139. How dare somebody say that life does not start in, at conception? My Bible says it does. Psalms 139 says, I knew you when you were in substance. That word is where we get our word embryo. I knew you. I knew you in the womb is what he's saying. If God knew you in the womb, you was not some bunch of plasma or some uh, cell group or something. You were a person. God knew you. God still knows you. And what we ought to do is in that, in with that prayer in Psalms 139, search me, Lord, try me, see if there's any wicked way in my life. The fear of God ought to drive us to our knees and ought to drive us to the altar of consecration and dedication and to be what God's called us to be. That's what I'm going to preach on tonight. Then we see justice. In verse 8, he rises up. This is poem now. This is song. He rises up the poor out of the dust, lift up the beggar from the dunghill. Thank God. To set them among princesses. He's talking, she's talking about little Samuel. Listen to this now. And to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth of the Lord's. And he has set the world upon them. Boy, there's a foundation she's saying. It's God. And then last but not least, in this poem, in this song, she's singing in this praise of prayer. We see that she knows that God is the judge. Verse 10, And the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall the thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. And he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. I wonder if she's thinking about her little baby. Look at this. And Elkanah went to Ramoth to his house. And the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. And the child, folks, that phrase is mentioned five more times, four more times. I want to give you those in closing. But I want you to see this song, this poem was this. God opposes the proud and exalts the humble. That's the, that's the lesson in Samuel. God despites human e evil, but God is at work in the judging and making it right. And God will raise up a Messiah King, the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And he raised up a prophet. Five times in chapter 2, the word child's mentioned. I don't know how old he was when he's called. Some people say he was about 10 or 12 years old. That's amazing. Don't you ever think these kids coming on Wednesday night can't learn something and can't know God. Folks, we're all concerned about game time. I want to tell you something, folks. What we need to be concerned about is Bible time. God take care of the games. We're not here to be a social club. I believe in fun now. If you've been around me long enough, you know that. Anytime you want to have a horseshoe, Max, we'll go back there in the back and we'll throw some horseshoes. 
play some basketball if I was a little younger, if I can sit in a chair. But I want to say this, folks, listen. It's not all about fun. It's about God's glory. It's not all about fun. It's about teaching the Word of God. And five times you'll see the word child mentioned, but I want to give you these pungent statements about Samuel, and we'll close. i got ten minutes. Look at this. Look at verse 11, chapter 2, real quick. Chapter 2, verse 11. It says, And Cana sent to Ramoth his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Number one, Samuel was a great man of faith and a great man of God because he ministered unto the Lord. When he preached, it was to the Lord. When he taught, it was for the Lord. And when he proclaimed a prophecy and judged sin and rebuked Saul, it was of the Lord. And so, folks, ministering to the Lord is very important. And if you don't believe it, try teaching a Sunday school lesson for 27 weeks with just the cameraman behind the camera and nobody there. Try, try having, having an empty auditorium and try to preach. You better do it under the Lord if you're going to do it at all and not do it because the people are here. You don't minister to them, you minister to him. But if you minister to him, you'll minister to him. The most neglected ministry in this church is the ministry unto the Lord. It's not the bus ministry, it's not the Sunday school ministry, and I miss those very much. But folks, what happens sometimes, we come to church and we don't minister to the Lord. I don't preach for the Lord. I don't listen for the Lord. I don't teach for the Lord. I don't respond for the Lord, for the Lord. Samuel was a great man of faith because he ministered unto God. And so when you preach, you do it for the Lord. You teach, you do it for the Lord. You have a master club, you do it for the Lord. You run a bus, you do it for the Lord. It's not for yourself, and it's not even for them. It's for him. Then number two, I want you to look at verse 18. And Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. What can I say about this? I can say this, that he was still ministering to the Lord. But he had a mother that brought him a coat, took care of him. And I believe behind that coat was still a prayer and tears and dedication. God, you got him. You got him. Being a child girded with linen, moreover his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Amen. She never forgot him. And during his formative years, he knew he had a God, and he had a God call on his life, but he knew he had a godly mama. And then look at verse 21. 21. The Bible says, And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. But that's not the great part about the verse. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. If you're going to grow, it's got to be before the Lord. It's got to be for the Lord, before the, before the Lord. It's got to be, hey, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I'm living for you. I'm dedicated for you. I'm sanctified, thrilled, filled, and satisfied for you. A prophet is not a prophet of the people. A prophet is a prophet of God. And so we see verse 21 and Samuel grew, and Samuel grew before the Lord. And then last but not least, look at verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. Let me close with this. I'll get into the call of God tonight. And it's a thrilling chapter, chapter 3. 
Brothers, uh, Andrew, you preached on that one time right up here on the call of God about five, ten years ago. He can tell you the exact date. I'm going to preach on it tonight. But I want you to see that in verse 26, it says, And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. Oh, how blessed we are to see this one verse that, folks, God used Samuel at a very early age, called him into the prophecy, prophet office, into preaching and being a representative and a judge, a ruler at a very young age. And folks, God's still calling children. God's still calling teenagers. God's still calling you and God's calling me but it's got to be for the Lord. It's got to be unto the Lord. And then when you have that, you have favor not only with God, but you even have your enemies be at favor with you. And folks, I want to tell you something. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, I not plainly appear before the house of the Father. And so we see that then the devil, the Lord rebukes Eli and judges Eli. And the punishment was great. His children died, both of them, on the same day. He rocked back, big fat guy, because he was robbing from the offering, amen. He rocked back, broke his neck. And then somebody had a baby, and it was so bad, they said, his name is Ichabog. The glory of God is departed. What a mess. What a curse. Why? Because they left God out. You can blame all this stuff on politics if you want to. You can blame it even on the church, but I'm going to tell you something. A lot of the responsibility goes to mamas and daddies that do not raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And folks, I want to tell you, the greatest privilege you have is to raise a Samuel, a Hannah, a godly seed. And folks, don't blow it, because before long, they'll be driving off in the sunset with the car that you refinanced and say, bye, Mama, bye, Daddy. I'm going off to college. I'm going off to a career. Hey, I'm going off to uh, make a great name for myself. Or they'll be writing off saying, I still love God. I still represent God. I still want to glorify God. And I want to hear from God. And I want to know God. And I want to love God. And Mom and Daddy, please pray for me because you raised me right. And now I'm grown up. And I don't know what to do but accept just go by my childhood standard of fearing God. And when I marry, I want to marry somebody that's godly. And when I, when I have children, I want to raise them godly. And I want to glorify God and I want to minister before the Lord. Folks, faith begins in the home. Christianity rises no higher than your level of Christianity in the home. We must get back to the faith of Hannah and raise up Samuels, or our nation is doomed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Oh, I can't wait to get into the call of God. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful calling. But God, I just want to thank you for Hannah. I want to thank you for both her prayers. I want, you, I want to thank you for the song of praise. And I want you, dear God, to thank you for Samuel and the difference that he made in Saul's life and David's life and the nation of Israel's life because one mama prayed. But not only did one mama pray, 
but she was a good steward of her prayer, and she gave back what God gave to her. God, this is not baby dedication day. That's, that's the week before Thanksgiving. I know that. But Lord, if there's ever a day that we need to dedicate our babies and dedicate ourselves to being consecrated to God and ministering to God and for the next generation is today. God, have mercy on our nation. God, have mercy on our homes. God, have mercies on our couples that they'll stay together. And God, bless the marriages that are represented in this place. And bless the children. Bless the children. Give them faith. Give them a call upon their life. God, may we start early, as Hannah did, consecrating them to the Lord, praying over them every day, and watching God do mighty and wonderful things through the Samuels that you give us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, don't you have a burden for our nation? Aren't your, is, is your heart broken for our nation? We're in a mess. We're only in a mess. It's tragic. And folks, I want to tell you something. God is still on the throne but he needs to be the throne of your home. And he needs to be the heartbeat of your life, mama, because you have a great influence over your children, and you should. You ought to teach them to love and to fear God. Have me say, preacher, the, the message is spoken in my heart this morning. And I realize that I've fallen short, because we all have, but I realize this. <clears throat> The only hope for our nation is the next generation to be brought up as Samuels, as men of God and ladies of God, as Hannah's. By the grace of God, I want to dedicate myself to one of the greatest ministries unto the Lord, and that's to raise my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you'd say, preacher, please pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Maybe your children are already grown up. You can influence Sunday school kids, bus kids, kids you don't even know. God bless you all over this place. I mean, say, preacher, I'm not even married. Well, you can dedicate your life right now to marry right. Because if you marry wrong, it's going to be heartache, it's going to be pain, it's going to be agony, and it's going to be a trauma called divorce. And you don't want to go there. You don't want to get this virus, but you don't want to, you don't want to go to, you don't want to go through a divorce. It'll break your heart. It'll pull your heart apart. All you've been through that trauma, you could say amen right there. Thank God that he rebuilds your life by his grace. I mean, say, preacher, I want to pray with you for our nation. I want to pray that God would bring our folks back to God and the principles of the Word of God. That God would bring the United States back to where we was founded. And that's one nation under God. Not one nation that steps on God and depreciates God, mocks God, and outlaws God from schools, from courtrooms. And even trying to close churches, God help our nation. No wonder half of California is under fire. No wonder it's 103 degrees out there and the woods are burning up. No wonder. Touching God's church. It's a curse on any nation that despises God. And that means counted as ordinary or as usual. You'd say, preacher, tonight or this morning, I want to pray for some Samuels. 
want to pray for some revival. I want to pray for our nation. And I want to, I want to promise you that I'm going to do that all week. Would you slip your hand up as a commitment to do that? God bless you. Father God, I pray if there's anyone that's lost here this morning, that they'd be saved by the grace of God. They'd come to this altar and let us show them the glorious light of the gospel and they'd be saved. God, we that are Christians, God, help us to get consecrated, dedicated, sanctified, not wanting what the world wants, not having our heroes, some millionaires of this world, but God, having you as our hero, knowing that you're supreme and that you're preeminent and you're overall. God, may we worship you daily in this nation once again. May we worship you this time of altar call, crowning you as Lord of every part of our life. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.